Welcome to another Invested Investor podcast. I'm sat opposite Inga Anson. I've known Inga for a few years now through connections in Cambridge. Inga is a partner at Harrison Clark Rickabees, but we're going to concentrate a little bit more of this podcast on your advisory roles in startups. So Inga, first off, let's hear a little bit about your background, please. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, I'm uh, Inga Anson. I'm a partner at Harrison Clark Rickabees, head of the Cambridge office here in Histon. And uh, I qualified in 1999 in a small town called Nantwich in Cheshire. I qualified into litigation initially, but didn't really like litigation very much. You know, you've got to think on your feet and do it quickly. And uh, at the time, as a newly qualified lawyer, that wasn't very easy to do. So very quickly moved into corporate, which I loved. And the good thing about corporate is you've got to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. People tend to think it's fairly specialised, and it is because you're doing corporate transactions, but you need to know a little bit about employment and a little bit about property and a little bit about everything really as part of any transaction. These things are part and parcel. So been with them since with Harrison Clark Rickabees, probably about 15 years now. And yeah, just worked my way through the ranks, moved to Cambridge, where they very kindly allowed me to open my own office. Set up going shop well. here. Yes, how absolutely. Long's, how long has that been now? So I've been in Cambridge with an office 18 months, but I've been working in and around Cambridge since 2009, really. And that's where the investment side of the work I do really started. Before that, I focused predominantly on mergers and acquisitions, which I still do. But I've developed a bit of a specialism, I suppose, in uh, angel investing work. Okay, so is this corporate investments as well, or is this angel investing and startups? A bit of both. So I think it started with people saying, we know these guys, they need a lawyer, you're a nice lady, would you like to, you know, should we introduce you? Yeah, great. And it kind of went from there. So I started acting for predominantly startups, London, Cambridge area. And um, yeah, it was great being part of that team from the beginning. That's what I loved about doing that work. So did that for a good few years, actually, and built up a network of angel investors, startups, entrepreneurs who perhaps weren't angel investors and then became angel investors. So, yeah, it's been a nice journey since 2009. Okay. What exactly is your role with startups? The first thing is you know, just being part of that team from the beginning. That's the beauty of being involved with the startup is that you see it right at the start. And you can help them right from the start. And that's the really the draw to startups. You know, they don't have a lot of money. They can't pay lawyers lots of money. But that's not what it's about. It's just about seeing that passion and that drive with this team and being part of that team. And the real kick that I get out of it is that with most of these teams, they call me just you know, whenever. The clock isn't always running. They know that. And they just pick up the phone, Inga, we need some help. Or what do you think about this? And, and they actually ask me for my opinion, which is great. You know, I love it as a part of the team, not just as a, an outside lawyer that they're frightened of paying for. Does Harrison Clark Rickabees have similar setups elsewhere across the UK? In terms of what I do? Yeah. Um, probably not, actually. I'm probably unique within the firm in the investing sphere. We've got you know, great lawyers who do investment work. But I'm probably the only one that does genuine startup work. Is that just because um, you're interested in it? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think also because yeah, the other members of the team know that I like doing that. And they just 
think I maybe have something a bit special on it, but I don't really. It's just about <laughs> being a nice person <laughs> and getting on with people. So it's, wanting to help the yeah, entrepreneurs, basically. Yeah, you've the, got to want to do it. Yeah, you've got yeah. to want to do it. And sometimes you don't get paid, and maybe that's why other lawyers don't do it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so how many um, startups have you helped along the years? Gosh, in the last nine years or so? That's a good question. I don't think I can answer that. I mean, teams that I've started with and retained and kept and who continue to instruct me, probably anything between 10 and 20. So you start early stage and then do they then move on to a different law firm at some point or do you like to keep them on board, obviously? Yes, absolutely like to keep them on board. And it's a strange mix, really. So mostly I do keep them on board, but sometimes they drift away because they move to the US, a lot of them. So then they have US counsel. Or they are told by a VC investor that you should use our lawyers. And of course, if somebody else is paying for it, you know, there's a bit of pull there. But I think the ones I've got have fought pretty hard to keep me on board. And then I've got to know their investors and their investors are then very happy. It's all about who knows you and getting to know the people that advise you. And everybody has their pet lawyer, so everybody's going to try and push that. The Invest Investor last week, we had a connecting week that we really push this connections and the network yeah. and building relationships within your connections. So yeah. it's good to hear. So let's go back to the advisory role. What does a lawyer bring that's different from, say, an investor sitting on a board or someone that knows about the industry? What do you bring to the startup? I think it's the I don't have an investor hat on and I don't have a founder team hat on. I have a fairly impartial, independent view, which is bolstered by the fact that I've seen a lot of other founder teams. I know that entrepreneur investors also see a lot of founder teams, but they see it from a different angle. They see it from their role as an investor. So the role as a lawyer is very much about making sure that you know, the guys understand the remit within which they can operate. And I think the biggest issues that I come up against are those, you know, the have-a-go culture. And that's where somebody like me sitting in your board meeting, or if you're just able to pick up the phone to me, try not to have a go because it can often lead to mistakes, which can be costly later on down the line. But it just means that you have a different perspective on your role as a founder, really, because that's generally what I'm acting for. And what founders see is, we must do everything we can to grow this business. And that's great. And the bits that kind of get forgotten about are the slightly dull, boring bits of what they would deem as admin that sit in the background, but which are as important. So I can kind of, you know, help do that. And angel investors, much the same. They are very focused on helping the team push the business forward. And so, you know, the things that seem to be a bit dull, a bit not important, kind of get lost. What are the usual culprits that get forgotten? We're touching probably on the tips for entrepreneurs and tips for founders. But one of the things I think is that they'll have their lead investor. That person will be probably doing some of the due diligence before they invest and will probably be running the legals for the other investors. And one of the things that you see time and time again is a small example. EIS and SEIS, as you know, is incredibly important to angel investors. And um, they generally won't invest unless they've got that advance assurance. But all they're asking to see is the advance assurance letter from the revenue. And what I would always say to angel investors is ask for the application. Don't just get the advance assurance letter. You don't know what information the company's put to the revenue. You don't know how that application was made. So ask to see the application as well. 
because there's a lot of information that needs to go to the revenue for them to decide whether, in fact, the company qualifies and whether the investment qualifies. So just ask for that information. You work with entrepreneurs, angels, and then do you work with any VCs as well? Not as their advisor, me personally. The firm do. So we have uh, lawyers who work with VCs. But traditionally, I'm acting for the company where the VC is investing, which I think is a role I prefer. And yeah, I, I, like, I just like to stay with the company. Yeah. Some of the VCs I've worked with, they're great. And what I find is that um, certainly with people like Cambridge Innovation Capital or Octopus, they genuinely seem to have the founder team's interests at heart and the company's interests at heart. So that's, yeah, that's great to see, actually. But I try to stay on the founder side if I can. Advisory role is obviously hugely important to you and also important to startups growing and building. The big question, why should startups have advisors at all? Well, it comes back to the have-a-go culture. And I've seen a lot of things go wrong at the very early stages of an investment, which never looks great, you know, never reflects well on a founder team. Angel investors or VCs looking at a founder team, you know, one of the things they're looking at is, do these guys have their house in order? You know, do they understand when they should be taking advice and why they should be taking advice? Because that's part of the business journey. You know what you know about the business you're trying to run. What you need to accept is that there are things you don't know. And it's understanding the things you don't know and when to tackle them and take advice. And one of the things I say to investors, founder teams, you choose your advisors carefully and don't be frightened to ask them for help. So when you're choosing them, you know, personalities is a big thing. Um, Make sure that the person you choose is somebody that you would get on with in the pub. You know, quite literally, is this somebody you could sit down and have a drink with and, and spend the evening chatting to? Because that's going to make the relationship a lot easier. And don't be afraid to ask for things. And don't be afraid to ask your lawyer, if I asked you to do you know, X, Y, and Z for me, are you always going to charge me for that? If I picked up the phone and I had a question for you, are you always going to charge me for that? You know, just ask them the question and ask them things like, is your billing within your remit? Are you the person that's going to deliver the invoices? Or am I going to get an invoice from your accounts team who I don't know and who have no idea about my business? I need an advisor who understands the cash flow restraints that I'm under, who understands that you know this is a very personal thing because we're a very young company. That's the sort of stuff you should be asking your lawyers. Recommendations are great. And by all means, go with those, but still ask those questions. And uh, Go even further, if you like, and ask lawyers if you can speak to some of their clients because they will let you. You know, Clients are very happy to talk to individuals. If they've got a great lawyer, they're very happy to say, I have a great lawyer and this is how we work together. So, yeah, just do that. So how many advisors would you advise an entrepreneur or entrepreneurs to kind of try and build up around them? I would say if you're looking at professional services, you know, definitely try and get a good corporate lawyer on board. Because coming back to corporate lawyers have to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. They would generally, in my view, be your relationship partner when it comes to legal advice and let them source any other legal expertise that you need and get them involved in things like, you know, selecting other you know, providers, other suppliers, because you'd be amazed that, you know, again, if you find a nice person, how much they're willing to help and get a decent accountant on board. Again, you know, the same rules apply find a nice person 
somebody who genuinely understands and wants to be part of that small team. If you see your advisors or view them as people who sit in an office somewhere that you occasionally call on, but you really rather not, then you don't have the right person. They should be the sort of person that you imagine sitting next to you in your office that you can just tap on the shoulder and, you know, what do you think of this? That's the sort of advisor you should have. Okay. So you've touched on kind of getting the best out of them by just asking them questions. Seems quite simple when you say it. It is. It is. It really should be. (laughs) Is there any other ways that you could kind of get the best out of advisors, whether or not it's a lawyer or whether it's someone else? Getting the best out of us. I think I had one client who absolutely got the best out of me, and that was because he kept me involved. And that is key. You know, keep your advisors involved because if they feel involved, they feel vested in your business. And the ways that this client did this was that he simply took me to events with him. He asked me for advice when I knew he didn't really need it. He gave me things. He gave me stuff in terms of, you know, he wouldn't even mind me saying who he was, but he would offer me, you know, the opportunity to come along to open days at the business and to have experiences in the business. Because at that point, how could I possibly do anything other than my best for him? And if he asked me to discount a fee, oh, well, Simon, on this occasion, I'll do this. And it really worked. It really worked. I've never seen somebody get as much out of their advisors as he did. Be nice to them. Be Be nice to them. them Yeah. And people will be nice to you. Yeah, absolutely. Get them involved with the business. Make them feel like this is their business. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably... Well, there is a large stigma, isn't there, to the persona of a lawyer Mm -hmm. and what you get from them. So this is absolutely perfect to hear this (laughs) for entrepreneurs that are listening and angel investors or anyone else in the ecosystem. You've touched on kind of a success story there. Let's hear some war stories and some some things that haven't gone wrong and why. Why haven't they gone wrong? Also, why haven't they gone gone right? right, (laughs) Yeah. So I think recently um, it wasn't completely disastrous, but it wasn't great found a team, came to me probably just a little late in the process. They'd already signed up to their shareholders agreement and articles with their investors. And they hadn't taken advice on the documents. The documents were produced by one of their investors from a deal that he had done before. And I always have to caveat that you need to be really careful about doing that because they are drafted They may seem like templates. Most people think they're templates we drag off a shelf. They are, to start with. But there is a personal element of thinking and customizing those documents to work for that company and that team, which, believe it or not, takes into account things like personalities. And in this case, the documents were fairly generic. They'd been produced by one of the angel investors from a deal he'd done before. And he said, well, I, you know, I took advice these documents. We took advice on them at the time I did this on, on the last deal I did. So they're fine. And they were fine until they weren't. So the client came to me and said, there were three in the team. One of us isn't really pulling our weight. And we are going to have to do something about it. So at that point, they said, could you have a look at the documents? We are pretty sure we've got you know, all the usual lever provisions so we could claw the shares back. Well, great. Okay. We looked at the documents and sadly they didn't. They thought they did, but there is one line that routinely should be in documents which surrounds somebody leaving as an employee and that's the trigger for getting their shares back or forcing them to resign as a director. 
And without those critical three words, they did not have the ability to get the shares back. Because although they could fire the founder as an employee, they couldn't force him to resign as a director. And he was entitled to be a director just because he had shares. So every time they fired him, he could just reappoint himself. And in fact, in this instance, he appointed his father. So we ended up with a potentially disastrous situation where they were about to go for a fundraise and had to explain why they had their old founder's father on the board. So don't rely on documents that you haven't had specifically tailored for your own personal circumstances. Or in this case, as a founder, don't rely on documents that an angel investor has given you because they may not work for you. But, you know, if the smallest thing you do is ask somebody, a lawyer, ask the question, what can you do for £500 and just get somebody to have a quick look? Why do you think that happened, though? Why do you think the entrepreneurs got to that situation? Unfortunately, I think it's because they are frightened of engaging lawyers for fear of the cost. I think it's the single biggest reason is that a lot of people perhaps don't see lawyers as particularly transparent or they are frightened of being confrontational with lawyers because by their very nature, they're lawyers. But actually, what you should probably know is that lawyers are the worst people for wanting to be confrontational. The reason you get an invoice that you didn't know about is because they don't want to pick up the phone and talk to you about it. (laughs) So, you know, you ask them. The one thing I absolutely do is talk to my clients about fees because it means I never have a disputed bill. I think that's it. They're frightened of picking up the phone for fear of every six minutes, a chunk of cost goes down. And it doesn't have to be like that. But you need to be more bullish with your advisors and you need to be more confident with them and get the best out of them. Do you also feel that because entrepreneurs are just trying to grow this business and keep going, they see some money come at them and they don't stop to think, what do I need? Do I need some counsel here? Do I need some advice? Or do you think they just go head on into it? In this instance, for example. Some do. But that's, I think, genuinely because they didn't realise they had the need. They didn't think it was necessary. And I think that's the mistake that some teams make is they see lawyers as an unnecessary evil. They have to have accountants. So everybody has an accountant. They don't necessarily feel they have to have a lawyer. And for me, I think a lawyer is as critical as your accountant. Don't keep them at arm's length. If you want to get the most out of them, as we've said all along in this podcast, and you don't want to be charged for everything that they're doing, bring them in, make them part of your team. Don't be frightened of them. They are just people and they will respond if you treat them as such. So I'm an entrepreneur, I'm sat in an office, I'm looking to go for funding. What would you say to me? Probably the first thing is, I'm assuming at this point that you've got a good business plan. And if you haven't, find somebody who can help you put that together. Investors don't want to see reams and reams of paper. They like it to be as short as possible. And make sure that people know who you are. Kind of the next thing after that, that's very early stage, is have a good term sheet, probably. So one thing that investors, you know, certainly angel investors will want to see is a well thought out term sheet. There are lots of precedents online, some good, some bad. You may not know what is good, what is bad. So unless you want to have a term sheet put on you, have one ready. You know, make sure that what you have in it is the things that you want to see in there that are good for you. It's fair but that work for you. What sort of stuff would that be? So I would certainly say things like be very clear about valuation will come out when you're pitching to investors. So that'll probably be blank to start with. That's a negotiation piece. But certainly things like be clear about your position as a founder and where you are now and where you want to be. And, you know, 
think through the things that might go wrong and where you'd like to be if things go wrong or if things go well. You know, that's not necessarily legal stuff, but it helps to make sure that the documents we put in around the investment help to bring about the conclusion or the result that you want. So specifics, things like your ability to stay on the board, what your service contract might look like, you know, how do you want to see your employment terms evolve, whether you're looking for any sort of incentive if things go really well. And what happens if things go bad? If you're a lever, you'll hear a lot of talk about good lever, bad lever provisions. I would say don't get bogged down in the detail. Just think about what would happen if a year down the line you got ill or a member of your family got ill or you just got a bit bored. That's not necessarily going to be a good reason to go. So think about the stuff that's personal to you so we can kind of build it in. But a good term sheet certainly is something that I would talk to a lawyer who understands angel investing. Do you see people miss that sort of thing out quite a bit? Yeah. Because you're looking at the negative. I think what I see is founder teams not doing it because in some cases they don't know they need it. They perhaps think they don't need it and they're just going to move straight into deal documents. Or more often than not, angel investors have produced the term sheet for them. They're often fair, but sometimes they can have an investor bias to them. And at that point, it becomes difficult or harder to negotiate in the things that you'd like to see there. And they may not be drastically different, but it's worth talking to somebody about at that stage because the term sheet forms, you know, it does really form the base of the legal documents. And very rarely do people, certainly investors, once the investors have agreed a term sheet with you, I very rarely see them veer away from that and try to agree anything different. So it's a good starting point. So there's some tips for entrepreneurs. Have you got any more for founders? Try to keep your house as in order as possible. Founders do have a tendency sometimes. They're smart, bright people who have these great ideas and just want to run with them. And that's brilliant because that's what people are investing in. But just try to have, you know, one eye on what is going on in terms of your paperwork and keeping it tidy so that there is a trail to follow. That's boring, Inga. It is boring, Alan. It's really boring. But that's why you try and find somebody like me who can take the boring away. But at, you know, as little cost as possible. If you find a good lawyer, most of them would be pretty happy to help. And it is really dull things like, do you have registers? You know, you cancelled some shares last year. Well, who did that paperwork for you? It all seems very easy and you can Google it all online. But, you know, just recently... You know, I'm an investor myself. And in the process of investing in a company, I, as a corporate lawyer, looked at the history and it was pretty messy, which, you know, really was a big deal for me. Don't underestimate your investors' backgrounds and what they do and the bits that they're going to take interest in. And if you've got lawyers investing or accountants investing, they're going to look at the things that matter to them because that's what they know. So, yeah, it did. And it it kind of did put me off a bit. So, you know. And coming back to picking your advisors carefully, make sure that if you've got an advisor who is acting for you on an investment with angel investors, that they don't have their own agenda. Just recently, I worked on a transaction where the lawyer acting for the company did have their own agenda and the investors stepped away, not because of the founder team, but because of their lawyer. So, you know, 
take that on board as well. So due diligence from every angle, basically. Yeah. You know, if you've got a lawyer on the other side telling your investors that they should go away and um, come back when um, they've done their homework, that's not great. You're also an angel investor. Yes. But what are your tips for angels in this scenario? I think it's a not a loaded question, but it's a tricky question because you know, angel investors are seasoned, experienced individuals who know an awful lot. And we like to think that, you know, <laughs> we know a lot and we're very clever. <laughs> but sometimes we're not as clever as we like to think we are. And perhaps sometimes what we try to do is maybe complicate things a little. But founder teams have a tendency to do that as well. And nobody really just wants to talk down at basic level. So, you know, let's just talk at a very basic level and not pretend to be smarter than we are sometimes, which makes the job an awful lot easier. Well, Inga, I think to everyone that's been listening to this, it's something that we haven't heard from before. And the tips that you have given are very different from what we've heard before. And I think that's going to be hugely helpful to a lot of particularly entrepreneurs and also angels. So thank you very much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com, or via a number of podcast platforms online. Remember, you can order our book online. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content from The Invested Investor. <laughs>